I believe that we're going to, we're, we're stepping into a very important season right now in, for us at Light City and for you and your life and for the plan and purpose of God for you. It's just, I think this is a, that you'll look back on this next little season of time and it will, I'm trusting, will be a pivotal time in your life and your destiny. And uh, you in sec, Are you in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 with me? In, uh, uh, in verse 8 there, and it said this, which referring to the wisdom of God and just the ministry of Jesus Christ and all of these things that have come by until this time. And uh, Paul speaks, uh, mentions to the Corinthians that if the princes of this world would have known, if they would have known what was going on, uh, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. They would have never done that. If they would have known it, they would have never made the tragic for the, for the kingdom of darkness, the tragic mistake of putting Jesus on the cross. They would have put Jesus on a throne somewhere and surrounded him with rubber bits and pieces so that he could never have even hurt himself. He would have remained alive until this day, and the rest of us would have remained in darkness, unable to see the light, even though the light was sitting right in front of us. And so what I want to share a little bit of, and I've shared a bits and pieces of it before, but I want to put it into the, to give us super clear context as to where I believe that the Lord is going with this idea of covenant. I was, I don't know what we were doing in here um, last October, November sometime. It couldn't even have been, I think, while Katie and Mitch were here, if I'm not mistaken. And the Lord kind of yelled this, thou art with me. You know how God yells and you, can, you can't hear it up here, but you can hear it everywhere else. That's kind of what happened. As, and I, I, ref, I, 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 you know, I know that's a scripture. I know that you know that it's a scripture. But we can kind of blow through that part of the scripture to get to the what does that produce in our lives. The, the, the actual reference comes from, I think, the, probably one of the most famous Old Testament scriptures, Psalm 23, and it refers to, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and I will fear no evil. Why? Because I'm an awesome person who have trained myself to be fearless in the face of danger. No, 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 that's not it. It says, I will fear, while I'm here on this planet, I will fear no evil. We took Livy last year to Disneyland. Uh, I forget which one it was, Magic Kingdom, I think. We prepped Lizzie for months, as you know we do with kids, right? We're getting her all excited. She'd never heard the term Disney before or Mickey Mouse or any of these type of things. And so we had to prep her for it, you know? And I imagined in her mind that like she's got what is exactly in Livy's mind as we are taking her to this place. You know, uh, it would be one thing for her to go there and we just sort of drop her off at the gates and say, you know, let's go figure it out. You know, that would make Disney a very scary place. You know, there's a lot of bells and whistles there. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of, you know, crazy stuff that's running around and people and creatures, you know, 10 foot high mouses that are walking around and all that. If you don't know what those things are before you go there, 
That can be a pretty terrifying environment, as you could imagine. You know, that's what it's like here. The reason that Olivia loves there, as all kids love there, is not because of there. It's because we are with them when they go. They don't hide between our legs in fear when they are there because we are with them. If we are not with them, that environment would be terrifying. Yea, though I walk. Come on, Lord, let me get it out one time. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So, we'll we'll keep trying. Uh, Turn with me, okay, so if if he would have known, if the kingdom of darkness would have known they would not have crucified. Can I tell you something? The kingdom of darkness does not know what God is doing in your life. He does not know. If they would have, if if in Jesus's life, if the kingdom of darkness would have known what God was doing in Jesus's life, the kingdom of darkness would never have messed with them. Can I tell you something? The kingdom of darkness does not know what God is doing in your life. It's a great mystery to the kingdom of darkness as to what exactly is going on. But what we need to be doing in each one of our lives is knowing, uh, getting a glimpse of the master plan that God has for all of creation. If we can understand the it, if the kingdom of darkness would have known it, the master plan, what was actually going on, it would have completely set them off, set them to the place where they could have interfered with the plan. But they do not know. And what we're able to do then is that we're sort of like these, you know, a particular generation of humankind that is marching through the great history of humankind. But every time God is doing something, it's kind of the plan for the hour, but there is a master plan that is overarching and, and it is the governing uh, agenda of the kingdom of heaven. But what has happened so often to us as human beings is that we get stuck and we stay too long in the one plan because we kind of get the figure, we get figured out a little bit as to what God is doing right here. And then we say, well, that must be what God is doing. That must be the master plan. Instead of realizing that what God is doing is he's, he's kind of grinding things forward to achieve a very specific objective. A master plan for humankind. We just happen to be living in a time where that master plan is, is, is inside of its... Fi- well, it's... Uh, inside the final chapter of what has been written down. There is one chapter that comes after this chapter, but that chapter has not been written yet. You, your life, is going to write that final chapter. What we need to be understanding is, what is the season that we are living in right now? So I'm gonna take a foundational way to get started into this series of Thou Art With Me, I want to just blow through really quickly through the master plan. I want to show you what the, you know, if you're familiar at all with the Bible and the stories of the Bible, you're going to 
you may be able to lock into what is the curve, what's God been doing over all of this time. Turn with me over to Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, familiar scripture, 26 and 20 to 28, is when now God turns to himself, let us make man, human, anthropos, let us make man in our own image and likeness. And so we realize that, or we, and we have been taught that humankind is not an animal, was not created as an animal, and the world tells us that, that we're some, you know, the grandchildren of some primordial soup somewhere. That's not the case. We were created as divine beings, children of Almighty God. Not just children of him, but children in the very sense that we are the same image and the same likeness of God. Go to uh, Genesis chapter 3. We're going to flip there for a moment. Because uh, I think it is pretty pervasive that people, and we have come to understand that when we were created in Genesis chapter 1, that it was a completed work of the creation process for God to have completed the image and likeness part. But if you take a moment for me, I think one of the most important scriptures in the Bible, in fact, is probably a scripture that you're not familiar with. When we've, we've understood that when God finished Genesis chapter 128, that all of the work of mankind was done and we were completed. Um, but I'm going to share a scripture with you that would suggest that that's actually not the case. That the journey that we are on as humankind is actually an important journey. God knew about that journey and allowed that journey to come to pass. And so here's where I, I'm going to share with you in Genesis chapter 3. Now, you know where you are in Genesis chapter 3. The sin has already happened, which is kind of the scary part. And then God says, you know, cursed is the ground and all of that kind of stuff. You remember where you are in Scripture. Now, I want to refer to verse 22 here. And the Lord God said, behold, the man is become as one of us. And so that's, pr when I first read that, I, I'm of course, you know, you blow by it lots of times until you actually read what that says. The man, human, the human has become or is become. It is now a, 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 a present tense verb, is become as one of us. To know both good and evil. And how many of you are already pretty scared by that? Who's the us in that sentence? And the Lord God said, let us. So we know who that us is. We don't want to deal with it right now because it's a little on the scary side. But he's talking about himself here. Let us. And then to know both good and evil. God knows both good and evil. But God can never say evil. If God ever says evil, what happens? Right? If God would come, to, come into this room right now and say, you know, Ian, you're ugly. <laughs> what, would that, what would that now do? Is that just remaining, you know, he doesn't particularly like the vest that I have on, right? Is that what God would be saying? God would be saying, for all eternity, right, right. my clothes will never match. Right. 
ever, no matter how hard I try from here until forever, I'm going to be ugly. Because what God says becomes eternal just because he says it. That does not mean that God does not know evil or, going to be scary again, that God could not choose evil. God is just smart enough to know the difference between good and evil and only ever communicates in any way out of his being good. In order for God to have a real relationship with you, you cannot just be a naive little puppet of his, which is what Adam and Eve were up until this moment. Adam and Eve wandered in the cool of the day. They were created beings. So as, as you've read the first couple of pages, most people have got that far. And the first couple of pages of the Bible, and so you realize that God created, formed him out of the dust of the earth, breathed life into him. And then they would interact with each other. First, Adam would interact with God, and then God created Eve, and then the three of them would interact with each other in the garden. As far as we are aware, in, in like, uh, not in an imaginary sense, but actually like you and I would discuss, go for a chat and walk and have a coffee and talk with each other, it was like that. But what that would have meant was that all Adam ever knew was the world as God presented it to him. It's like what you do with your grandchildren or your children. You, you want to be the only voice. I don't want there to be an evil voice that gets anywhere near any of my, the people that I love. I just want them to understand the world as it is in a good sense. But the problem with that is that we as human beings, we didn't understand really what was going on in the world around us. Did not understand the nature of the very world of creation that had been created. We only knew what God told us. And the only thing that God could tell us, because he is God, is good. What was necessary, because this is one of the places that I was, I've been through many moments of furious with God in my life. This is one of those times when I questioned God, realizing that there are probably billions of dimensions and universes. And, you know, God's a very busy guy and has been busy since the beginning of time. And so I'm sure he's got a few more dimensions that we don't have any knowledge about. And so when the fateful Isaiah chapter 14 moment, when the devil and a third of the angels of heaven decided that they were going to dethrone God and take over the whole joint, God sort of was a way, as you know, it's kind of a dumb idea in the beginning to think you're ahead of God. That is kind of impossible at every dimension. But they did think that and lost and then God banished Satan and his newly formed rebellious army. But he banished them to here. And I was thinking to myself, God, wouldn't it have been a much better idea to banish them anywhere else but here? Could you not have built a 
another dimension somewhere. If Thor will have one for you if you can't figure out where that is and put the devil there so that he is far away. So that he is far away from the soon-to-be crib of your newborn baby boy. Uh, uh, wasn't a boy, a hermaphrodite. Baby person, Adam. Why would you put a snake in the baby room? Was my question. Because I think that was a dumb idea. You would think that was a dumb idea. Why did God do that? Behold, the human has become as one of us to know both good and evil. Behold, that's not like, oh yeah, uh, there's another knucklehead. No, no. This is the same behold that is in all the other beholds of the Bible. This is like, wow. The human has become as one of us. Now, if you read any further in your Bible, you know there was a lot of people who thought God was a dummy for putting the good and evil whole equation inside a human being because we get to Genesis chapter 6, only a couple of pages to the right, and we have this faithful news flash that God is preparing to flood the earth. And the reason that God is preparing to flood the earth and destroy almost every human being on the planet is that the imaginations in the heart of men were only evil continually. So what had happened is that there was these, this, these two encyclopedias that mankind had been given, the encyclopedia of good and the encyclopedia of evil. And that's awesome, except, bless them, they only read the evil one and filled themselves up. The imaginations in the heart of men were only evil continually. God had to wipe out all but a few members of the human race start all over again. This is Noah and the flood time. And God set in motion everything again. But promising this time, there's no more floods. We're not starting again, ever. Setting in motion now the continual history of humankind. Now we know as we're doing that then, God is... Remember, God does not live in the day-to-day -day of our lives. He doesn't see things chronologically. God sees the whole thing. It's like a DVD. God can take the whole thing and fast-forward and rewind and go back and forth. He can do all that. As a matter of fact, he is consciously aware of all of human history all at the same time. Not just human history, but all of history that there is. God is consciously aware of all of it at exactly the same time. Don't know how he does that, but he does it. And so when God is working this plan, God is moving bits and pieces and setting things in motion constantly in the open vision that he has of all of history, time unveiled in its nature, several dimensions deep. God is watching then as this time is happening. Finally, he has been able to get a being who understands good and evil. But the problem is it's just over, the evil part is over, the deception, the, 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 the upside down part is over, has now overwhelmed humankind. But God wipes it all out 
starts again with Adam, and we see the trail start to, to, to move upward again. And, and mankind starts to move forward. We meet this guy, Abraham. When God begins to interact with Abraham, he's got a plan on his mind, and he's allowing that plan to come forth through this person, Abraham. Abraham, people think he was starting a religion. God's never been starting a religion, BTW. He's always starting a family. He started a family back in Abraham's day. That family becomes a nation, the nation of Israel, a very powerful nation. And then we see them make a bunch of really big mistakes. And then they are in slavery in Egypt. But God says, okay, I need to get evil has now overtaken my, my nation, God's nation, the Israelites. Evil had taken over that. They had become slaves. You remember the fellow Moses, Charlton Heston, as comes onto the scene at this time. God gets, wraps up all of his folk and gets them out of Dodge brings them over to the, uh, the Sinai Desert where Moses goes up onto the top of Mount Sinai and he is, is, uh, it is dictated to him the first five books of the Bible. God begins to use Moses now as a teacher. He's going to give the words of God inspired by the Holy Ghost, given to Moses, Moses now becomes the teacher to share the words of God with the nation of Israel and anybody else that would listen, by the way. But he was going to share the words of God. Remember that Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the day with God, hearing the words of God. God is now reestablishing that into, into motion in the lives of the Israelite nation as he uses Moses, firstly, to become the first teacher of the, the nation of Israel, teaching them the ways of God. He created a constitution by which the nation of Israel would function. Now we know, if you know anything about the rest of your Bible, you know that there's a whole bunch more books in the Old Testament, 39 in total, five of them by Moses. The other 34 then are historical books, you know, Joshua, uh, Judge, Joshua up to, you know, the book of Psalms. And then we talk about Psalms and Proverbs, and then we talk about the minor prophets, other bits of chronological, historical stuff in there too. And God is, what is he doing? He's releasing, inspiring by the Holy Spirit, releasing with, uh, the, the truth of God into the hearts of human beings, and the human beings would then write that stuff down in a book. Other people would bind it together to, or scrollify it or whatever it was at the time. And these, this thing became the word of God. God had started the restructuring process of getting the word of God into the earth. The problem was, Isaiah chapter 6, and Jesus repeats it many times, the problem was is the word of God had been delivered to human beings, except we didn't speak the language. Seeing, we did not perceive. Hearing, we did not understand. It isn't enough to have the word of God when you don't speak the language. You can't even interpret the language. What was the reason God gave all of this material to humankind if in the process he knows, because he's a pretty, pretty smart guy, nobody's going to understand any of it. 
As a matter of fact, as Paul tells us in the New Testament, the stuff is going to make us even worse people. Because we're going to become self-righteous and judgmental. And, you know, I know the Bible says that you're supposed to give and not receive. And so I'm happy to, for you to learn that. But I don't want to learn it. I want to be the receiver still. I want you to become the giver. And we became self-righteous religious folk because the word of God was unintelligible to us. So why did God write it? If it was just going to make things worse. Turn to your Bible to John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, this weird old part of the gospel. Gospels are pretty much stories of people hanging about with Jesus, telling all the cool stuff that he did. Except for John chapter 1. It's kind of this philosophical moment here where John, you know, goes off on a tangent talking about kind of mystical sort of things. You know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And sort of, you know, what the heck is he talking about? In verse 14, it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. You know, I wonder whether since the purpose of the Bible in the Old Testament, God revealing the word of God just became black and white rules and regs to the people at the time, they really didn't get it. They just did it. That's not a bad thing, but it really didn't help them because the purpose of the word of God was to make somebody, it was to make Jesus when he was here. And so what's important to see is that if you were living in the Old Testament, you would have received the, the, the scrolls, the words of God. And you would reference them and they would be amazing because they are in themselves amazing. They're phenomenal to have such a gift. But you would think, as they did, that that was the end of the story. We have now God. Can you, see, can you just see me in my, in my ephod? We have. The words of God. And I would want it to be that that would be the end of the day. But you can already tell. You know, because you know the next chapter. You know that was not the end of the day. That was setting up the next chapter. It was setting in motion thousands of years of work. Set in motion for one pivotal moment to come in the history of humankind. When Jesus came on the scene himself. The incarnation of everything God had said. Up until that time, the Son of God was words. He wasn't real yet. It wasn't, words are very real. He wasn't in human form yet. And then in this moment, the words become flesh. And then the, even for those people at that time, they were very focused on it being that this must be it. Jesus, I get, I get the deal, okay. So Jesus can kind of do pretty much anything, walk on water, feed 20,000 people, you know, pay his taxes with a fishing trip, can do all of those kind of things and make, and so he, I know what's going to happen here. I know him and Caesar are going to go nose to nose, like, you know, gladiator and the bad guy. We're going to go into the ring together. Jesus is going to deal with it all, take over, and we're going to live happily ever after. I have it all figured out. It's obvious to me what's about to happen. Because the whole thing has always been about Jesus coming to this planet. Mm -hmm. 
And everybody says, Amen. Except Jesus. Jesus, if you will spend a, little, a few moments with me here, let's go to Luke chapter 24. Oops. Luke chapter 24. Now, if you know where you are in the Bible, you know there's only 24 chapters of the book of Luke, which would make you at the end of the book. Jesus is about to leave. What do you mean leave? Exactly. You mean leave for Rome to do business with Caesar, right? Is that what you mean, leave? He goes, no, 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 I don't, no, leave. Like leave like how, like die? Yeah, leave like die. Leave like go to heaven. What? You see, they got wrapped up in the chapter that they were in. They did not realize there was another chapter coming. Jesus said, are you in Luke, are you in Luke 24? 40, verse 44, these are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you. All these things must be, must be fulfilled. I had to fulfill all the things that were written concerning me, Jesus saying, in the law and in the prophets and in the Psalms. There's so many things, as you know, hundreds and hundreds of prophecies of Jesus that had to all be fulfilled. I had to become a person. And he said, to him, said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it is behooved Christ to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance, okay, da, 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 verse, verse 49. And behold, I will send you the promise of my father. I, here's, here's the deal, okay, wait. So Jesus now has gone to the cross, is resurrected. He says, I'm going to leave because I have to send you something that God has promised you. I'm going to send you something God has promised you. Ian's paraphrase. It's not about me, Jesus speaking. I know you love me and you hang out with me and you're, we're buds. But I need you to understand, I have been here with you for this season. And I have accomplished the things that I needed to accomplish in order to set the next chapter in motion. But my life has been about setting the next chapter in motion. Because God's plan in the beginning was that he was going to create beings in the image and likeness of God who have become like God and now who act like God. Knowing good and evil, but only being able to know the wisdom to know the difference between what is good and what is evil, what is true and what is deception. It is of no value to us to have, to have been delivered into our possession a whole box full of little fortune cookies, half of them with truth on them and half of them with lies on them, and we have no ability whatsoever to discern the difference. That bucket of, true, of, of fortune cookies is valueless to me. It's like getting a whole bucket of pizza pockets 
Jake, I, see how you can just grab their attention fast like that? There's no value in, eating, in those pizza pockets if I tell you only half of them are filled with dog poop. Ain't nobody going in there to eat. Jesus is saying, I, I, I got to go because there is still a promise. Go to John chapter 16. Same, same moment. Now, there's a lot more to the book of John because we do the passion and all that. Verse 6. And because I have said these things to you, I got to suffer, I got to go. Sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Jesus speaking. How do you know it's Jesus speaking? He wrote it in red. Thank goodness for the red pens. <laughs> Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for me to go away. <laughs> no. So imagine the deception. No, 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 Jesus, they, no, it's not, no, no, it'd be a bad, I, I think it's, I, what you meant was, it's a bad idea that I go away. Jesus said, it is expedient for me that I go away. Why is that, Jesus? For if I go, well, he says it the upside down. If I, do, if I don't go, the comforter cannot come. Flip it all around. If I do go, the comforter can come. And when I depart, I will send him to you. The next chapter, The, 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 the chapter that Jesus ignited, that his life and destiny set in motion was this comforter's chapter, whoever that is, let's say. Let's say we don't know yet. What his job was to set in motion the ability for the comforter to come. Who is this comforter, you might ask, this masked man? And he is. He was the invisible man. You see him all the way through the Old Testament, but we didn't talk a lot about the Old Testament. It's kind of like the, the invisible thing going on there. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Yes, he is upon you. Well, who is that exactly? He is the invisible one. He is the, I don't even know his name, one. The comforter. If I go, Jesus said, I will send him here. You cannot have me and him. You get one or the other. So if I go, if I stay, he can't come. If I go, then he can come. He said, imagine this now. This is like a bit freaky here. These guys knew Jesus. You know, like lightning rods coming out of the end of his fingertips. He knew how to turn an empty bucket of water into a steaming hot cup of coffee. As Pastor Tina said, magic. Raise dead people. Heal the sick. Feed tens of thousands of people with a sandwich. 
walk on water. So I'm thinking, uh uh-uh. If I get first pick on who gets to go on my team, I'm picked that guy. Don't give me no expedient if I go stuff here. I'm picking that guy. Because I can't imagine. I'm a human. I can't imagine what could be better than this. If I want to take out Rome, I want the guy who can stand up from his prayer time and say, I am, and a whole legion of the soldiers of the enemy fall on their backside. I want that guy. Give me no expedient that I go. See, they didn't, they didn't understand the master plan. The master plan wasn't that Jesus was going to be awesome. The master plan was that you were going to be awesome. I've said this many times here. I hate saying it because I know what happens when I say it. I tell people, I said, strong leaders don't make strong leaders. Because when you have a strong leader, you let them do all the heavy lifting. And then you can never do any heavy lifting because you let them do all the heavy lifting. Jesus is saying to his disciples, he's saying, may I, may I paraphrase, he says, strong leaders don't make strong leaders. I've taught you some stuff. You can see what's possible now. And I got to go. Because if I don't go, you're never going to rise up. You're just going to wait for me to go get the problems fixed. But he says, I got a better idea. There is another. Been around a long time. Been here a long time. I'll send him. That will be way better. Jesus speaking, that will be way better. Who is this guy? Right there, and are you still in John 16? John 16 and verse 13, how be it he, the spirit of truth, Howbeit he, the spirit of truth, will come. He will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, he shall speak, and he will show you things to come. Jesus was the truth incarnated into a human being. What the Holy Spirit, this comforter person, was going to do was he was going to guide us into the truth. It's really funny. What's that word guide mean? Guide is the word hagadeos, which means a teacher of the inexperienced and ignorant. (laughs) So anyways, there we are. The Holy Spirit was going to guide us into the truth. We were going to be able to, through this guy... We were going to be able to know the truth. Not know the truth like the Old Testament way. Know the truth in a very different way. Know the truth in a fulfilling the plan of God way. Where through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, this 
paraclete, it refers to. We translate it as comforter. Maybe your Bible refers to counselor. Perhaps it says advocate. That word was paraclete, and a paraclete in that day was, in fact, a lawyer. It was an advocate, somebody who helped you to understand the law and use it for what the law had intended to become in your life. Does that make any sense? What a lawyer actually is. We'd have maybe not done it perfectly in our day, but the terminology here of a paraclete is somebody that was going to take the words of God and help us to understand them in such a way that we could become them that we could understand them and that we could use them for the purpose that they were set in place to accomplish. That's what an advocate does. That's what a lawyer does now. If you know a lawyer, you know them because you needed them to interpret the law for you, to do motions and actions and court stuff that is all about how do you do the law? How do you do the things that were the mechanisms of the way the world in our, that we live in works. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit's job is. He's not to give you goosebumps. He's not to make you feel good about yourself, although he very much makes you feel good about yourself. That's not his job. The end run here, the end game, is the same as the game has always been. God created human beings and he has now found a way for us to become just like him, to know both good and evil. But it is not enough to know good and evil when you cannot tell the difference between what is good and what is evil. You cannot tell the difference between what is deception and what is truth. God, in his wisdom, sets in motion a mechanism where someone, a lawyer, is going to come and help you to understand the truth, like a lawyer does, get rid of the, tr- the, the deception and become aware of the difference between all of this and all of this, so that I can become all of that. The ministry of the Holy Spirit was empowering us to become the divine beings that we were intended to be from the very beginning of time. You don't become a divine being because you are created in the image and likeness of God. God forbid that you don't hear that incorrectly. Just because I have a computer does not mean my computer and your computer are the same. We may have the same hardware, but that don't make us the same. What makes us the same is the software. We have now gone into a world where we have the ability to perceive good and evil all around us. Sin has opened our eyes to the evil. As our eyes open to the evil, to see it, we made the mistake of just focusing on the evil, forgetting God, you know, that's, you know, that's fuddy-duddy stuff wrecked us. Now God's bringing us to the place where now we have the word of God but can't understand it. Now we have the word of God and a person who can interpret it for us, who can show us, guide us into the truth. 
the point of Jesus' life was to open the door for the Spirit of God to enter the hearts of human beings. Matter of fact, when Peter comes out of the Acts chapter 2 experience as the Holy Spirit is on the earth, the very first thing the Holy Spirit wants to do is grab a cheeseburger. No, no, it wasn't. The very first thing that the Holy Spirit wanted to do was pray in tongues. We'll get to that another time. It's a couple of verses further down the way when Peter is now releasing his first preaching session filled with the Holy Spirit, and he begins to preach. And what does he preach? He preaches about the promise that it was spoken through the prophet Joel. God speaking now, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. The point of Jesus' life was to get our flesh, our humanity, to a position where the Holy Spirit could come and dwell with us. Not dwell with us with no plan or activity expected. Dwell with us so that we could learn how to, how to commune with him and learn the truth. The whole mechanism here has always been about thou art with me. That's been the point from the beginning that God could be with us. That God could be with us. It changes everything. As we as human beings stare into the abyss of our future. We don't really know what comes next. What that does in the heart of a human being is it causes that human being to be afraid. As they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, they become afraid. And they inch forward, millimeter by millimeter, testing the ground as we go. Because we cannot see forward. It completely paralyzes us as human beings. I am amazed with, with watching little children. Because little children are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. They have no understanding of death or any reason to be afraid. So they jump off of everything, climb up everything, you know, play with everything, touch everything. Oh, what's this cleaver doing here? I wonder. <laughs> they don't care. 
And then one day they get it. Their eyes are open. They sin themselves and the world of good and evil becomes visible to them and they begin to be afraid. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. I have nothing to be afraid of because thou art with me. I tell Livia all the time, I'm trying to train her about what it'll be like to walk with God when it becomes her turn to walk with him. And I tell her, I say, but you know, when you're with Bubba, you can bring her up here right now and she'll say it to you. I say, when you're with Bubba, that's what she calls me, Papa, but she couldn't do pa. So the, <laughs> I say, when you're with Bubba, you are, I let her finish. So I tell her, when you're with Bubba, you're safe. You never have to be afraid when you're with Bubba. You don't have to be afraid when you're with Mimi. You don't have to be afraid when you're with, with Mommy and Daddy. You don't have to be afraid when you're with Alex and Danielle. You don't have to be afraid when you are with us. Because we are always going to be looking out for you. Now, I know that I cannot always be looking out for her. I'm not doing this because I'm always going to be the savior of Olivia's life. I'm going to pass the baton soon. And Olivia needs to be able to trust her real father. That her real father is with her. But not just with her like la-di-da, let you fall down and laugh while you fall. When we can come to the place where we understand that God watches over us, I was listening to Blake's book. If you haven't read Blake's book, you really need to read Blake's book before Blake gets here. It's phenomenal. As he just, you know, I'm just bathing in it right now as he's continually becoming aware of the angels that are around us all the time. He's got this one, th I won't, won't spoil the book for you, but just some beautiful things that he shows us about how God is with us. That the angels of God surround us from the day our parents think about making us. There is always an angel unseen at that moment and will never leave you. Not be more than, he says, not be more than, I forget what it is, 18 inches away from you. God has made sure that there is nothing that you ever need to be afraid of. We just have to get rid of our understanding of evil. I was going to call this, teach you this, this piece today. Stop cursing the darkness. God did not curse the darkness. He brought the light. Focus on the fact that God is with you. When there's, a, when there's a problem that is in front of you, say, excuse me, God, do you see that? Can you just confirm that you see that? Long as I know you see that, I'm good. I'm not being afraid. It's not just, you know, a religious thing that God has done is you get the infilling of the Holy Spirit and pray in tongues. Yeah, do, yeah, we got to do all that stuff. That's not the point. The point of the matter is that I have made the Lord God my refuge and my fortress. In him will I trust. 
Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because I have made the Lord God my fortress. Under his wings do I dwell. These images transform our perspective of the dark abyss that we look into every day as we wake up and look into our tomorrows. It's not a dark abyss anymore. I may not know what is down there, but as far as I'm concerned, there's nothing there that's going to be able to hurt me. There's no reason that I need to be afraid. Everything about my existence is known to Almighty God. And the Spirit of God is with me. Every moment of every day. And so what's the antidote to fear? I am with you, God says. I'm with you. When Jesus came, well, we don't minimize Jesus. You don't, you're not hearing me say that, right? And I'm not minimizing Jesus. He is my Savior. He's my Lord. He is, the, the, he is my hero. He is the example that I'm trying to become. He's my high watermark. But we need to get into the chapter that we actually live in. And that chapter is a chapter about the presence of the Holy Spirit with us, consciously with us every single moment. When issues come that try to beat me down, I'm not looking to try and beat my way back up. I'm looking to sit there and say, Holy Spirit, you are with me. You knew this was coming about a billion years ago. You've set me up to get out of this, to fix this, to know this, to handle this, to, to grow from this. And now what I need is your perspective. You've got to guide me into the truth and show me things to come. When you guide me into the truth and show me things to come, man, the fear's gone. When the fear's gone, the real me shows up on the scene. Not the fraidy little weakling that the devil tried to make me into, but the guy God intended to be able to stand up against every situation and overcome it. I can only do that when I'm fearless. I'm not fearless because I got some pill that I take. I'm fearless because thou art Amen. with me. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that your life was impacted by this service and you are able to feel the tangible love of Jesus fill whatever space you're listening from. Maybe you found this message and you've never had the opportunity to come into a personal relationship with Jesus, or you've known about him, but been far from him. We wanna give you the opportunity to make his love a daily reality in your life. Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross so that you could be close to him. He wanted to wipe away every disappointment and bring you into a life of purpose and meaning, one that will impact this globe for good. 
If you'd like to begin this journey with Jesus today, then just repeat this simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've made mistakes and been living without you. I apologize and I trust that you will forgive me. I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my savior and my Lord. Help me believe in you and love you every day and help me to show the world what you're like and how great your love is. I commit to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All of our Light City family are joining with heaven and celebrating over the commitment you have just made to make Jesus the Lord of your life. We have resources available for you to help you on this journey. And most of all, we're praying for you. Send us a note at info at golightcity.com to let us know about the decision you've made today. We have resources we would love to send you with some easy steps on where to go from here so that you can discover God in a real and meaningful way. If you have a prayer request, our team would love to connect with you and partner with you to see God transform your life. God bless you and we look forward to hearing from you real soon.